It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy, and welcome everybody to our weekly gathering. A uh, great meeting place for IOs, HR, recruiters, and all of those who work with people and care about them. Uh, that's what I like to say anyway, Jeremy. And today you've given us the topic of what employees can do when their boss is a poor leader. Um, boy, I'm seeing that more and more all the time. Um, anyone who is looking to join CBOC and, and spend some time with uh, the Pathfinder mentors, I, I had my very first session and couldn't believe some of the struggles that people are having with. Um, this particular individual is working in an organization where when the pandemic hit, Video wasn't allowed because, you know, there's issues like Zoom fatigue. And then, of course, they realized that you can't actually continue business without <laughs> using Zoom, but they limited it. And still they're limiting communication amongst employees, and it's incredibly frustrating. But that's just one story. Um, you know, what kind of, you know, especially with the work we're doing with virtual communication mastery, we're hearing a lot of these stories. So what are some of the things that you're hearing out there, Jeremy? It's interesting because a lot of you've got this, uh, a lot of managers are still leading by fear. And we've noticed this with, especially if they're given power with any kind of, uh, of, of surveillance, but there's, I've seen more and more companies that are finding out, like if managers are requiring it's, it's terrible, right? Because we talk about adult to adult versus adult to child conversations and relationships in the workplace who have to email their managers before, even before they take, so obviously going to take a lunch, but they have to email their managers to let them know they're taking, not for any reason, but to, to let them know. And then companies are finding out about these, you know, so-called policies and they're scratching them right then and there. They're saying, look, that's not part of our culture. And I mean, the, that is, that's the kind of culture that has existed in many, many companies for a long, long time because of that need for control. Um, and it's, so that's just one thing, right? But when your boss is a poor leader, are they not, are they not growing and developing their staff? 
are there not are they not um, focusing on you know what I love to focus on passions and talents ambitions of, of every single person are they just not there are they there too much are they leading by fear are they micromanagers because let's face it we can't we keep talking about this but we kind of have to a lot of leaders get promoted to leadership positions because they're good at a skill and a task but they're not necessarily good at leadership and then what happens when they're there are they given the proper training and even if they are do they really see it as important um and really look this is what's in it for me it's it can be lonely when you're a manager because you feel like you have to some people it's really it gets really bad you know some managers say oh i have to babysit these people every day you're the boss you're the manager you're supposed to be making it so that they feel uh incorporated into the department's success the company's success and you're supposed to be the adult in the situation and talking to other people as adults if you continue to see your workforce as a bunch of children then that's gonna that's gonna be the uh the gutter is a bowling right you've got the bumpers in the in the lanes so that the ball goes and at least hits some pins well that's going to guide them in their thinking if they continue to think of their workforce like that so there's a lot to be done but luckily there's a lot that individuals can do when their boss is a poor leader, lead by fear, micromanager, just not cutting it, whatever it may be from all the extremes. What's it like, especially as an IO, you know, you get invited into an organization and you're sitting there with a leader who goes, my team does not work well. You know, things are, are not going good. And we, I know there's some issues. There are some problems, but my guess is that most IOs are sitting across the decks going, and you might be one of those issues, especially with your leadership style. How on earth do you have that conversation with the leader going, hey, I love being here and I'm going to you know, talk to your people. I'm going to find out what's going on. But if you're the issue, are you willing to hear it? Oh, Mike, Jeremy. Mike is important. So we'll look at it from two sides. So the question you ask is if you have, if you have someone, maybe a consultant come in or someone who's in a, maybe a consulting type of role in the organization, it's perfectly, I mean, you should be having those conversations with those and address it to, again, what's in it for them. Approach it to, hey, I noticed that you're you're really big on your uh, the, the way you're seen within the company. I noticed you're, you know, and you, of course, you would say it differently, but climbing to the top, your, um, your brand is important to you. The performance of your team is important to you. You feel you're the leader of the, of the ship. So approach it in that way. Approach it from a stance of being helpful. What would they appreciate you coming to them with? And that should be your focus, which will turn them from defensive into helpful mode. And the question, and once you start to develop that really, you know, it's, it's, it's like really in the literal sense, you can develop rapport within 10 seconds if, if, if done the right way. And once you get that, that's when you should, and if you're a consultant, you should always be doing this, especially with your CEOs. What happens if I come back and the problem is you? And then you silence, and let them think and let them speak. And then do you want me to be honest with you? And they'll say, oh, yes, yes, be honest with me. And then the follow-up question is, do you want me to be brutally honest with you? And that's when they sit back in their chair, they look around, they think, you know, and then I, they always say yes, but it can be a punch in the gut. Anyone knows any kind of feedback, even if it's little, can be a punch in the gut. Anyone who's run Leadership 360s, uh, um, surveys and debrief and action planning in an organization knows that, or anyone who's received one knows the punch in the gut feeling. Anyone giving them can read really quickly the punch in the gut feeling. 
any kind of feedback that's negative at all can be a punch in the gut, but it's how, how do you manage it? How do you quickly turn that around into visioning out, here are some changes that can be made and guess what? Here's how it can be when it's all said and done working together. And if I become a member of CBOC and I want to talk to you about this, <laughs> you're available. Yeah, we do. We do. We have some, we have some, a star team, some really great experts. All right. Uh, Brendan, come on up here. Let's hear what you got. Thank you, Jeremy. I don't know if I remember last year we had a conversation similar to about like exactly what you're describing. And, um, you told me that I don't know, I'm, I'm probably going to say this wrong, so I'm going to rely on you this, but there's different types of leaders. And then when you're going to that leader with feedback, um, the word you used was, oh, so that you're dealing with a coward. Um, I was wondering if you could just talk about that, because I think that would be really important to this conversation. Yes, I'm going to have to stretch my brain. That was a conversation a long time ago. So there's when you're having conversations with people and I might have to go back and look at some old notes. Let me see if I can get this now. Um, there's three different types of people. There's three different types of negotiators. There's three different types of people that you're dealing with. There are um, and I'll have to go back and get the more appropriate terms. There's jerks, right, who are just outwardly jerks. Those are the ones usually that are the best. Because you know where you know what they think, you know where they're coming from, and the difficult. There we go. Sorry, the, uh, I think it's difficult. So they're different. The difficult ones. They're they're the kind of uh, kinds of people that um, you know. If you're a server, you know basically what kind of tip you're going to get because they're going to tell you the entire time. But you know, but you also they also tell you exactly what they want the entire time. Then there's uh, nice people, and the nice people are the ones that will go along with everything, but secretly be mad and upset. These are the kind of people that, you know, might be the disengaged. I'm missing one here, but in terms of the coward one, these are the weak, the weak people. The weak people are the ones that are vindictive. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to go back on my notes because I need to remember what those last two are. Um, but Brendan, I'm going to throw it back to you while I, while I search real quick. I just, um, that was something that really resonated with me and, and I've taken with me to other engagements, especially when we're talking about being brought in as a consultant. And I just transitioned off of one client that was there for a year and a half. And it was, I was brought in by somebody, I need you to fix all these problems. And eight months into it, you're the problem. And that can sour relationships really quickly. But I was lucky enough to have a more senior leadership above that person that I worked with, but that's where it definitely gets really difficult where it's, Hey, I need help. I need help. And then as you're presenting, it's well, the help you need is, is, is to start looking in the mirror. Yeah. And it's, again, that's also that it's, 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 it's like flying a plane, right? It's like flying a plane close to the water around the mountains. It's, it's a, it's a dance that you do and it's navigating and negotiating that, but in the whole way, I mean, the easiest, the best advice for that, always state things from their perspective. You see, you see this team as blank, right? They'll correct you if you're wrong. Um, you're feeling X because Y. They'll correct you if they're wrong. But it, the, the more you can allow them to feel heard and understood, even, even without them saying a word, uh, that can be very helpful. Something else, you know, I always, a lot of, sometimes 
if anyone, this usually happens to people, somebody will say, hey, I'm not trying to call you a blank, but I'm not coming at you, but well, as soon as you say it, it means that you are. One thing you can do is instead think of the negative things they're going to be thinking about you, right? So you might say, you're going to think I'm, I'm prying too much. You're going to think that I don't have your best interest at hand. You're going to think that I'm unable to see things from your perspective, and you're going to think I'm out of line. And then just start talking. Don't justify it. No buts. But that way, as you're talking, they can't, they can't, they're not going to be thinking those things as much and wanting to say those things because you already said them. But there's a lot of different techniques and a lot of different ways to honestly um, and empathetically, but also genuinely approach this conversation in a way that is leading a conversation for an outcome better than what you could help hope for or what they could hope for. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, jump on in here. Good morning, everybody. So I just wanted to kind of chime in. I completely agree with Jeremy and Jeremy is the master when it comes to like the back and forth conversation of negotiations and everything. So take his tips to heart because they really do work. I've even employed some recently, but what I was going to say about this is I think it's really important to establish psychological safety with all of your clients. And the way that you go about doing that is by creating a common language. And one of the easiest ways to create a common language when you're speaking with them is to ask poignant questions, but ask for specific examples. So if you're sitting down with your client and you say, okay, I can see that your team is having trouble regulating X, Y, and Z. Do you experience that? Have them say yes. Okay. If they do in fact say yes, then okay. Can you give me a specific example of a time when this happened? Okay. How did that make you feel as a leader? How did you respond to that? And then take it a step further, like actually walk them through their response. Because I find that when you do that, when you're actually walking them through the response, they'll catch themselves where they went wrong and they, they'll take over the conversation. Well, I could have done it better this way. I could have, you know, at the time I was under a lot of pressure, but now looking back, I should have done it this way. It's our job to facilitate that conversation. And that's creating psychological safety. In my mind, that's that's the ultimate goal. Once you've done that and they've taken ownership of maybe past behaviors that weren't ideal, they're much more likely to receive any sort of feedback, especially if you can align it to a specific example. Um, that way you're not making a blanket statement, excuse me, about their leadership style, because that could be like, that's personal, right? Like you tell me I'm an XYZ bad leader how am I going to fix that? That problem feels really large. But if you tell me that in April, I had trouble delegating specific tasks to three people on my team and I, I, you know, I didn't follow through, that is something I can do better at. That is actually something that I can focus my attention on. I can employ actionable steps in my day to make sure that I'm reaching out to the right people, that I'm employing them with the right information. So I think it's about empowering the individual to make changes but also doing that in a very specific way as to not address their ego in a way that could be damaging. And that's, that's the dance. That's the relationship um, that Jeremy was talking about flying the plane close to the water. It's flying too close to their ego because the ego is there to, de to defend us. It's, it serves a purpose, right? Everyone's ego is there to protect us. And we all have instances where we were in a situation and our negative side came out and it saved our butts. It needs to be there, but we also have to have a good relationship with it and teach leaders how to do the same. That's how I went. Tom, you're not muted, but we can't hear you. 
let's try that again. That mic thing comes back <laughs> to haunt me again. Um, Sarah, was there anything else? If not, I'm going to go to Linda Ann. Nope, that was it. I just, I really think it's important to really understand psychological safety and understand how to go about it. It's about specific moments. And if you can't be specific, then it's not the right time. You need more information. Um, the more specific you can be, the better you can expect someone to respond because that's an actual problem that they've experienced and can address. It's not this thing out in the ether that they have to go chase down or try to figure out, oh, I'm a bad leader. Well, why? You don't want them ruminating with that. You want them acting in a way that's going to support their employees and as soon as possible. And you really need to be able to get those channels of communication working and working effectively. Yep. Yeah. Linda Ann, um, HR, let's bring HR <laughs> up. Because you know, as soon as we started talking about this, I was like, how does HR deal with this? How, you know, cause I'm sure it happens where someone walks in and goes, my boss, who's a leader, ain't such a good leader. So Linda, Linda, and how do you, you know, first of all, how do you deal with that? Well, that's, you know what, I was happy to be here today because I wanted some more information from the IOs, because I think that, you know, what Sarah was describing is someone though, who is actually open to learning. They might, they might, not understand their flaws or their their issues, but they are open to learning and, and moving forward. I think one of the biggest problems, though, is someone who isn't willing to look at that. And then as an employee, you know, they don't see that they're flawed. They're in ultimate power or they have ultimate responsibility or whatever that is. And so how does an employee in turn deal with that kind of a boss, because one of the things that has kind of come up in the transition of the workforce as we go to a global economy is that a lot of times the manager isn't the person with the most knowledge anymore, right? And so they're working, they're more coordinators and facilitators. And for somebody to give up that power, for some people, that's really hard. It's interesting because I keep hearing this message talking with numerous people, in, including economists, where what we're actually experiencing right now, we probably haven't seen since the Industrial Revolution, where there is this huge change coming in the way that we work. Um, and you know, I'm hearing from people in the remote world that the issue right now is not the employee. The employees have been working remotely for two years. They've figured it out. Where the roadblock is, is in the people who manage them, that they're uncomfortable with managing remote teams. So they just want everybody back in the office. And, you know, half of the team ain't coming back. So how does, for example, HR navigate this crisis of we're losing employees because you're unwilling to go to other remote or hybrid workforces? Um, and, you know, there's always going to be people who want to work in the office, but now we're going to have a situation where some are in the office, some are working from home, some sort of are back and forth. Some people like to work in coffee shops. Um, so good luck, HR. <laughs> How do you deal with this? I, you know, from my perspective, it, you just accept that that's the new order, right? And then you work from there. And you know, it's, it's just like, you know, there were some people that, you know, never really thought that, well, that digit, that 
that digital work from home would work. And there's some people that never thought, you know, the computer wouldn't be a big deal. Um, but, you know, so there's, it's just acceptance of the new order and then making that work and making the adaptations, you know, and some people have a really hard time with the adaptation. Tom, your mic again. <laughs> new mic. <laughs> like I just washed my hair um, and look at my hair. So, so Jeremy, or yeah, Jeremy, let's go with you because is this an age issue? Are, are, are we being led by leaders who are my age and have gray beards who remember the world before the internet and are going, yeah, remote work, this is just a fad. But, you know, we've also talked to leaders who are in their early 30s who have been remote most of their career. So is, is the issue people my age? I don't, I don't think so. And here, I think it's more of, um, I think it's more of just a leadership and manager level and, and skill, because if you're, if you're basically, if you're a good manager and you're a good leader, you're going to be in tune with these things and you're going to be in tune with what helps my employees be productive, what helps a strong team. That's not, I don't, I really don't think it's an age thing. I think it's more of um, a, a skill set, and that's where, um, you, you know, you can start to, recognize and identify who these leaders are and then who need the just a little more training a little more i mean awareness is key any kind of professional development we're looking at awareness i mean look at all look at the assessments what are they for they're for awareness what are leadership 360s for it's for awareness uh what do you do when you read a self-help book you become aware of of yourself and, and more in tune so it's there's a lot there's a lot of moving parts to that it looks like sarah has a comment yeah, I just wanted to say I'd be really interested to know um, if touch points, leadership touch points has anything to do with the amount that they are influenced to want to go back into the office. And here's why I say that. <clears throat> the more places that a leader has to reach out and touch, like say in an office, to make sure that there's accountability, follow through, and that deliverables are being met the less likely they're going to want to do that remotely, right? Because it's actually really hard administratively to keep up with that. And the mental space that you have to hold in order to do all of that is really difficult. So I would say to those leaders who might be hesitating that you might be used to an in-office environment because you like being able to have all of your touch points in one place because it's easier for you to mentally consolidate and feel as if you have, and I don't like using this word, but control over what is happening, right? Because as a leader, there is a certain amount of responsibility that you hold and, you know, making sure that your teams are meeting deliverables. However, I do think that there's a solution to this. And I think the solution is reducing those number of touch points. So instead of having, say, 16 mid-level managers that you have to check in with each and every day, can we reduce that down to four? Is there a way that we can allocate our resources in a different way so that your touch points are reduced and therefore you can manage it in a remote way without having to feel as if you're losing control of the reins, right? And everything's going helter-skelter. You don't want that, right? So I think it's a matter of touch points. I also think it's a matter of just exposure and, and time. Um, some people adjust to things faster than others. And we have to be empathetic and, and the way that we view that. And I don't think that it's a problem of age. I think it's just some people take a little bit longer to adjust to things. And um, 
some people just like being around other people too. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so I think it's going to be about balance. I think it's going to be about facilitating a conversation around balance and the leaders that are really have their nails dug in because they're control freaks. I think they're going to get weeded out. I really do. Um, and like Linda Ann said, it's, it's a matter of time. Um, and the best that we can do as practitioners is just be supportive um, and, and facilitating these types of conversations and, and offering examples like reducing touch points as solutions. Um, and then also making sure that leaders understand that it doesn't have to be a one and done conversation. So that's another thing is there's a lot of hesitancy. Well, if I allow remote work, then that means I allow remote work forever. Well, how about we try employing the reduced touch points and we trial it for six months? It's a lot easier to get someone to agree to a six-month time period than it is for forever, okay? So break it down into smaller digestible pieces for your leaders. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turn boot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. The people listening, if you've got a great story to share with us about toxic leadership, uh, jump in. I'd love to hear those. Uh, but, you know, I also, I, I love leadership books. I, I, you know, I could have a stack of them and read them. And uh, Jeremy, yeah. Oh, no. Continue your thought, please. Okay. Uh, I just finished reading uh, Candace Gottlieb Clark's book, uh, Find, Fix, Fill Your Leadership Gap. And I love the way that she simplifies it. She basically talks about leadership coming down to three different issues. One is trust and how you actually build real trust with your teams. Uh, The second is role clarity. Uh, She often will talk about how a leader, you know, someone becomes a leader. uh, They're not only doing their new job of leadership, but they're still trying to do their old job, even though there's someone has actually replaced them and they're not allowing that person to actually do their best work. And then, you know, the third thing is conflict management, which to me is, is critical because doesn't every leader need to know something about conflict management? Jeremy? Something I'm noticing here. It's so it's, it's, this is such an interesting topic because we're not used to, talking about what people can do when their boss is a poor leader. We've shifted our conversation to leadership, 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 and what leaders should do. We've got, we, and so I want to make sure we continue to focus on, okay, what can employees do? But that says a lot what we've done here and shifting away from that because it is a very, very important topic. Um, I'm going to share, state a couple things. And back to what Brendan had asked, um, what I, what I mentioned before was accurate in terms of there are, uh, so first you have your, uh, your, 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 your jerks, right. You know where they're coming from. They're usually the easiest to deal with. 
they are, but they aren't. Then you have your nice people who will generally just go ahead. They don't want any problems. They'll, they'll do what you say. Then you have your weak people. They'll go along, they'll do what you say, but they'll create a lot of havoc on the back end. They'll be the gossipers and those kinds of things. Those are the ones you really, really got to watch out for um, in terms of if that's the type of either person, if you're a leader dealing with, or if that's the type of leader that you're dealing with, and that's the poor leader. So your leader can either be a jerk, a nice person, or a weak person. And sometimes it's um, uh, asking, you know, asking questions. But if you make that your target focus, you'll start to understand which of those that they are. And then once you understand that, then you can adjust how you become, sounds odd, but how you become helpful to them. And one, one way to do it, it all starts with a shift in perspective. And that shift, which can be difficult, is you, you give them the biggest benefit of the doubt, strangest that likely is not true. And I'll use the quick example. If you are driving down the highway and somebody cuts you off, that person's a jerk. But all of a sudden, if you and your blood pressure starts to raise, and but if you say to yourself, there's a, a sick, hurt child in the back and they're rushing to the hospital, you give that person the biggest benefit of the doubt. That probably isn't true. Probably is just somebody who's a bad driver, but it lowers your blood pressure. You're able to think more. We can't solve problems when we're angry. So then you are better in that particular situation. So how can you do that for a boss? That's not, that's not good. Maybe a boss who shares too much, maybe a boss who plays favorites, whatever it may be, you know, what, how can you think the opposite and give them the absolute biggest benefit of the doubt, even if it's not true. Maybe you have a boss that has, um, maybe you have a boss that's a little too direct that will degrade people, even though the, the, your boss doesn't realize it. Well, what's the biggest, you can just use your imagination. I don't know. Maybe you say, this is how our, our, our boss grew up. This is the only language they ever knew. They really wish they they pray every night and they really wish that, that they could be better for the team. And um, they even say to themselves that they would give a million dollars if they could be better for the team. That'll change your perspective of them and turn you into helpful mode. And that'll help guide you in, in to, to your conversation. The next step is to say to yourself, what can I do that, would, that they would be appreciate, appreciative of? So if you have to have a tough conversation with your boss, your goal isn't to get my boss to stop yelling at me. Your goal isn't to get more autonomy. Your goal isn't uh, whatever it may be. Your goal becomes, my goal is to give them a different perspective and let them know that I'm their advocate, which they will appreciate. The key is the back part, which they will appreciate. So then that'll guide you in terms of your, your interactions. It's never a bad idea to say, Hey, there's something that's keeping me up at night. I feel really awkward. It's okay for you to be awkward, right? Negotiations, you want to be the awkward person. You want to be the one dropping your pencil. You want to be the one not okay, right? You always want the other person to be okay. I know it sounds backwards, but try it and you'll see what happens. You want to be the not okay person. So I'm, I feel really awkward about this. It's affecting my performance. And I realize that if my performance is being affected, that look, that affects the way that it comes back on you. And when I started this job, I remember telling myself that my job is to make you, you look good for hiring me, is to validate your decision to your peers. And I want to make sure that I'm able to pull through with that. 
So right away, what have you done? What are their defenses like? And how open are they to the conversation? So if, if I get my leader open to the conversation, can I then start sharing maybe some of the things that I've learned about leadership? I mean, if I, if I was to buy a leadership book and put it on my <laughs> supervisor's desk, um, A, they wouldn't read it, and B, they might throw it across the room at me. Or I might be lucky and they might sit down and go, is there an issue with my leadership? Uh, is it better to go that route or just to start to try to implement some of those things? For example, if it's, if it's role clarity, could I be in a meeting going, you know, we need to discuss role clarity because there are some overlaps here. Is, is, is it best to, I mean, what is the, as the employee, what, 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 you know, you've given some great tactics, but is there more? Uh, Sarah, let's go to you. I would never, ever, ever put a leadership book on someone else's desk, Tom. I would never do that. I would I would caution everyone in this room to not do that. Instead, hop over on LinkedIn, take a picture of yourself holding up the book. Your boss is more likely to see that and take an interest in it and say, hey, they read that. I might read that too. Um, when it comes to managing up, I think there's a few key things that employees can do that are pretty simple. Okay. Um, number one is make sure that you are covering your butt and keeping a paper trail. Um, that is rule number one, because their truth is there are some toxic leaders out there who just cannot be reformed and you don't want to get caught not having evidence. Okay. So keep a paper trail. Um, that doesn't mean you're looking to entrap them or gather evidence or anything like that. You are just covering your tail. Okay. Two, if your boss is yelling at you, that's a problem. Visit your HR department. No one should be yelling at you, period. Um, but also understand when your boss is available and when they are not. So a lot of managers or bosses will say, I have an open door policy. Okay. That's a bunch of bunk. They have a better time of the day to deal with you than other times of the day. Figure out when it is. If it's in the morning because you know they've already had their cup of coffee, but their meeting schedule is light address them then. If it's towards the afternoon or right after lunch, because they like to chill and digest, whatever, do it then. Um, just make sure that you are going to them when they have actual downtime. No one likes being interrupted when they're middle in the middle of a task. No one like it, it, it. It's the first way to get someone's heckles up against you is to interrupt them when they're trying to accomplish something. So be cognizant of what their schedule looks like and what they're doing. Most managers share their schedules pick a smart time. Also make sure that you are speaking again in specifics and try to involve the community um, perception in everything that you deliver. So rather than saying things like, um, I feel like you are X, Y, and Z, instead try, the team has been noticing that we are failing at X, Y, and Z. Okay. By doing that, it brings more weight to the conversation and they're much less likely to take it as an attack and much more likely to say, oh, this is an opportunity for me to be a leader because that's why I'm here. I heard the word we. So there's a few things. Those are a few things that employees can do. They're very, very simple. Change your conversations from I to we. Um, make sure that you're keeping your paper trail and then just know best times of day to contact your boss for these types of conversations. Linda Ann, over to you. Yeah, I, I am a big fan of CYA, you know, in, in, in these situations, because, you know, when when the boss goes down, sometimes the whole team goes down. Right. So um, that's 
you really need to make sure that you can support yourself on that. I, the question I think I have though is really how does, you know, oh, and one other comment with, with regard to how you uh, couch it or phrase it, something that I found pretty helpful sometimes too, is you're, if you're always using the terminology, well, the, it, it's in um, the context of the project or in the context of the client or in the context of the company, you know, the company will benefit this way, or it'll be in the client's best interest if we do it that way, those kinds of things. So it's a never I um, kind of whining situation where you always have, you know, something that, you know, it's hard for somebody to um, dismiss when you're talking about the benefit of the client, those kinds of things. So that can be helpful. I think one of the challenges people face over time as employees trying to do some of that is if they're successful and their boss looks successful, right, then, but they haven't really changed their behavior because you've been managing up, but not getting any recognition, you know, I'd love to hear some feedback on how to handle that not shooting yourself in the foot kind of thing. I think sometimes too, there can be an issue when you're a high performer and your boss is not. That is kind that's what I got from that. That statement just then is like, I'm managing up, I'm doing all the right things, but my boss is not responding to me. That would signal this might be an instance of, I have a high performer trapped under a low performing manager. Um, or that manager has become so administrative because they've raised the ranks so high that now they've turned back into an administrator. Don't, doesn't anyone else think that's funny how we enter the job market as administrators we become specialists and then we work our way all the way to the tippy top and we become administrators again. I was talking about that yesterday. Anyway, sorry, tangent. But um, so I think that um, that whole concept of the, the high performer matched with the, the low performing boss is a challenging one um, because you never out, want to outshine the master. And that comes from a book called Mastery by Robert Greene. If you have not read Robert Greene, I highly encourage you to, even if you don't agree with all of his perspectives, um, don't ever outshine the master. So basically what that means is when you, especially if you're a new employee, if you come to the table and you're trying to change everything, like the day that you got there, you're not going to make a lot of friends. Um, so I know that it can be challenging to try to manage up and all of that. I think it's just a matter of matching pace or slightly exceeding pace. So rather than if they're at like a 60% and you're always at a hundred, like try to hit 65 and hit them with that level of cadence just for a little while. So you're, you're pushing them, you're pushing them outside of their comfort zone, but it's not overwhelming them. Um, because that's really important. Understand your energy levels, understand the energy levels of the people you work with. Um, I think that can be really helpful, especially in a leadership dynamic where it seems like they're not responding. It might just be that they have a different energy level than you do. Yeah, really well put. Uh, Lee, great to see you back here. Uh, join us on the stage. Hi, thank you, Tom. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, my, my day job got in the way of me getting here early. Um, you know, just to kind of to, to go off what Sarah was saying that, you know, you have to be very, very careful, you know, like she said, outshining the, the master. And um, then you you get into a culture of fear at that point. You know, when you start shining your light too bright, the manager starts getting fearful of you dimming theirs. And that can be very, very, uh, very, very damaging. It can also lead to micromanagement, uh, hostile work environments. 
there's lots of lots of bad that can really happen there. And so uh, part of of being able to manage up is, I mean, for one thing, like uh, I think it was Linda Ann said about the, the CYA, you know, covering yourself to make sure that there is documentation somewhere that shows what work you actually did, but also letting the team and especially the boss uh, bask in the glory, if you will. And uh, so if you make the boss look good, well, the boss tends to like it, but you also have to be careful that the boss doesn't take credit for everything that you did. So there's 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 fine balance there. And, and sometimes you, you're just going to get to a point where you just have to go somewhere else. It's a, it's a very, very delicate situation. Uh, although, you know, sometimes you can help uh, get that that uh, boss promoted out of your way. <laughs> so, um, you know, they'll they'll raise to their highest level of incompetence. You know, it happens all the time. Yes, I've seen it several times. <laughs> Roxanne, let's go to you. Hey, everyone. Um, so adding on to what Linda Ann has mes mes uh, mentioned with the uh, documentation, that is very important. I just read an article yesterday about a data analyst who was creating all of these great charts and infographics, but her boss was using them as her own content rather than explicitly awarding, you know, just commenting, hey, my team did this. So one thing that the, the employee did, she put a watermark on everything she did. And come to find out, the boss fired her for that, unfortunately. So that's a crazy situation there. But I think to start off the bat, if you're in a situation, you may need to leave. That's always something to happen. But to prevent that in future, learning the culture dynamics of the team during the interview process, like having the interview with your team members, that would be a great first step and learning what makes them work well together, like how they like to be managed, and also having that initial conversation with your boss as well when you first start. You know, this is how I like to be managed, and this is the type of communication I want. I think that would help clear up a lot of miscommunications. Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right, Roxanne. I, I know that one of, the, one of the changes I've made when I first meet people and I'm going to be working with them is asking them how they like to communicate you know, is, it, is the best way for me to reach you as a text or an audio or a video? Uh, so, you know, maybe we need to have more of those conversations. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go back to you. So I have a, a question. I, I remember being in a situation where there was someone at the head of a department who was, you know, extremely incompetent, but the higher ups, you know, just um, didn't see that. They thought, the person was wonderful. Um, and part of that was because everybody on the different teams, different departments were overcompensating, right? Picking up all the slack. And so they never saw that he was incompetent because everybody else was picking up slack. And so I would love to hear some feedback about, so when do you let it, the crap fall where it belongs to, to have some self-regulation in in poor management and having that taken care of by the system. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Cynthia, I see your hand up. Let's go back to Roxanne really quickly and, and let you respond to that, Roxanne, and then we'll, we'll get you in here, Cynthia. Awesome. Thank you. So with that, Linda, and I have been in those kind of direct relationships with management. Um, I was in a security, which I'm sure everybody has heard about this security company in the news, G4S Secure Solutions. They have a lot <laughs> a lot of issues ethically. Um, our uh, site security manager, who was the head honcho of all of the supervisors, he did nothing. Every, all of the supervisors were compensating. 
So it was really a play, like, should I do this? Should I not do this? And especially I worked on the evening shift. I had to work twice as hard just to get, you know, good recognition. Like, hey, we're doing great because it was always the, the boys club during the day. And I was the only female on staff for supervising. So I really had to kind of weigh those pros and cons. Like, is this really my responsibility to do this? And how will it impact my team on my shift? And if it didn't impact my team negatively, I would choose not to do it and just let them fall. Yeah, that's a, that's a great perspective. And speaking of which, Cynthia, you always have great perspective um, because you've seen a lot. So jump in here. I'd love to hear this. You know, I'm on a slightly different um, perspective here uh, from what you were just asking about and what you were commenting on. All this stuff is so interesting and so valuable. Uh, I was um, I had this guy speak in this event that I was doing from Facebook, and he was explaining that uh, – they said, well, how does Mark, Mark Zuckerberg apparently has meetings. I don't know if it's every month or whatever. It's the whole company. And he always listens to everyone. And um, he said that one of the employees was an engineer and he just ranted. He just ripped in front of the entire, I mean, it's everybody, no matter what level you're at, everyone in the room, he just ripped them, ripped him a new one. And um, Mark said, you know what? Uh, I'll think about that. And I'll take it into advisement. Like he, totally just listened in front of his entire company. And as, as my, uh, my colleague said, uh, Bezos would never do anything like that. It's pretty admirable when you have someone who's that strong of a leader who says, okay, and I don't know if he did something or not, but I don't think the engineer got fired. Uh, but, but getting back to what you guys were talking about was just that I think with managers, it's about um, understanding their fear. If they are afraid that people know, if they're afraid that people think they don't know, then you need to approach it. For, it's that empathetic thing that Jeremy was talking about, taking from their perspective. Go in and say, who yelled at them? What are they afraid of? Uh, there, there was another, uh, I, I worked for the chairman of a studio in, in, in corporate communications. And I remember him doing this interview and I'll never forget it because he said, I was sitting around with, you know, and he named all these huge executives, you know, these people, you know, these billionaires. He says, we're just sitting around. I could just imagine drinking, you know, sniffing brandy. And he said, um, and, and Charlie Rose asked the, the chairman that I'm talking about, he says, so what is it like? I mean, you're so successful. You've done this and this, and you're running a studio movies and all this. He says, what, what is it like to be so successful? He says, we were just talking about that. He says, we're not trying, we're no longer trying to succeed. We're trying not to fail. And I think that that's a very powerful statement because at some point they're like, their fear is that because people come after you, the higher you get, it really is lonely at the top and understanding that they have to, yes means yes, no means no, not maybe. And they have to be clear and be able to be, to be a good leader to, to address that is, is really important. So it's, um, I think it's very important for you to understand what the fear is of that executive before you start. And the other thing that I, I wanted to add to that was, um, I put in the chat, there was a, 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 I listened to the Wall Street Journal tech podcast every morning. And a few days ago, they talked about how our Google and some of these tech companies are putting people back into um, office spaces. And uh, they're, how were they adapting? Because they, they've been out for two years, right? 
And I thought it was really interesting. You should listen to it. It's short. But one of the things they're doing is they're adjusting their hours so that because they're listening to their employees, they're, they're getting people who have moved away from San Francisco, Seattle, whatever. Um, this is the block of time, knowing that they're asynchronous, maybe they're in different places in the country because they're leading a sales team or whatever. Have These are the hours we use for collaborative meetings. This is the hours for fo- focused work. And everyone can be a little bit more flexible and people will have the time to really focus because, you know, when you get in the zone, you're writing, you're doing something, and then you have to go, oh, I got another Zoom call. But if you know these are the hours and if you have the leaders establish when they're available to do those kinds of things, it makes the employees feel heard and it allows the uh, the leaders to be a little bit more flexible with the way that they address connecting with their employees. So that's my two cents evolve or die and, and evolution. It's not the smartest or the strongest that survive. It's the most adaptable. Thank yeah, you. Well said. <laughs> Jeremy, you see your hand up. Thanks. And perfect, Cynthia. That's a good leeway into um, uh, just when you can recognize when you ask someone what their greatest fear is. I mean, you want to talk about being able to build trust really quick. I mean, they all of a sudden it's just like a magnets coming together. And when you can realize that it's very it's vital to not only figuring them out a little bit, but giving them a little bit of, of their own space. Tom, you asked earlier on. What can you do it, once they have decided, okay, I'm open to having this particular conversation? You know, do you give them, uh, you do, what do you talk to them about? I would, my first thing I would say is probably, you've had your hands full with us, haven't you? That's probably what I would say, right? Allow them just to, and you could just, you can probably just see and, and feel the, uh, the, the stress melt off of them, right? And then just, just have a, a genuine conversation again from their perspective. You know, you might say something like, You've been trying to figure out the dynamics of this team. Me too, right? So just start to state things from their perspective. Find out what their fears are. Even ask them. It's okay to say, what's your greatest fear with this project? What's your biggest fear um, uh, if this team, if we don't get our act together? What's what's your biggest fear with not figuring out who X, Y, Z? Some people are going to think that what I'm saying is, oh, you're starting, you know, you're going to be brown, uh, seen as a brown noser. Well, maybe, but that's not the goal. And I don't think you will be. What you're trying to do is you're trying to be, you're trying to make yourself an advocate to your boss's success, right? You're not trying to build yourself up. You're trying to build them up and you're trying to give them an actual sounding board, someone that they can finally count on. So there's a big, it's a big, uh, it's a big difference in perspective and, and how you're communicating that. Um, I'm, I have to jet off right after this next comment. Um, Tom, I'm going to, you can take it away when we're done or once I leave, uh, next week, our topic, Tom, I got to this before you could ask me. And then I wasn't prepared like every other week, our topic for next week is what employee, no, that's our topic this week. Our topic next week is how to transfer onsite trust to the remote work relationship. So that's our topic for next week. This topic that we're doing today, what topics can do in their bosses, a poor leader. I almost feel like there should be a part two. So I'm thinking maybe um, we'll we'll add this in maybe for uh, we're, we're booked up for March or maybe for for one of the April. And I do want to mention quick, Tom, you're going to ask me about the Pathfinder. So I'll just uh, allow you to not ask me about that and I'll go ahead. So we do have the Pathfinder. I'm going to do a quick screen share of, uh, of, of half of what it looks like. Tom, can you see that? I can. OK, good. Um, so so the career, the we have an IR career roadmap. 
This is a very uh, brief explanation of what we have for IOs who are just starting out, who are looking to grow their career um, or who are mid-career. You start When you start with the IO with the Career Pathfinder program, you work one-on-one with one of our experts and you create an initial roadmap. Then you go into LinkedIn, resume optimization, other vital fundamentals, and you work on goal mapping. Then you have, you'll start working on an individual action plan, at which point you'll have access to weekly open office hours uh, with a multiple or one of us. You have monthly calls that are included with, with experts as mentors, free materials, guides, templates, mini courses, um, specific events that will be free, uh, even the paid events, free to uh, IO Career Pathfinder members, um, targeted networking opportunities. And we also have some interesting affiliate partners for discounts on stuff that's important for IOs. And then we continue to work and we continue to make sure that you're, we meet you where you're at, but we get you to a place you never thought possible. So that's what I mentioned about the Career Pathfinder program. If you're, if anyone's interested, if you're just starting out as an IO, early career, mid-career, just go to cbock.com, click on IO start here. And right now there's a waiting list. Uh, just jump on the waiting list and we'll be excited to, to have you join. But Tom, back over to you and I'll be popping off in a minute. All right. Uh, you might want to make me a host before or the, the host before you leave, or we'll all be popping off. <laughs> uh, Sarah, I want to go back to you because a combination of something you were saying and then what Jeremy said about you know being the best advocate for my leader. What if my leader is suffering because of his leader? Can, you know, and, and it's making my leader a little crazy. Can I have that type of open conversation where I can sit down and see, you know, I, I understand the pressure that you're under from the leadership that you're with. How can we help you with that? Yeah, you have to start there. You have to start there. Um, because here's the thing. It's kind of like that whole concept of like when you're on an airplane, you put the gas mask on yourself or what not gas mask. Oh my gosh, my military is showing the <laughs> the oxygen mask on your face first. Um, and that's because you can't help yourself or you can't help others until you've helped yourself first. Right. So, um, making sure that that leader has the support they need first and foremost is the most important thing that you you could ever do. Um, and yes, you should absolutely have that conversation. Um, now the issue comes when people clam up. So there can be a tendency to, even in a practitioner leader relationship where a trust is even established, where they're hesitant to share all of the details because they're just scared. They don't want what they say to come back and bite them later as like a showing of being disloyal or something like that. Right. So I think it's in those moments, it's really appropriate to say, Hey, listen, I am, you know, an IO practitioner. I'm held to the same ethical standards that, you know, a clinical psychologist is by the standards of the APA. Like you can tell me things in confidence that are not going to come back to bite you and, you know, have, tell them you have a code word. Hey, um, every time I say pumpkin, that means you've got your practitioner hat on and we're not solving problems. You're just hearing me out right now, because it's really important that they have, that you as the practitioner have all the information to operate with, but also that they feel as if you can be trusted with that information, um, to not undo their professional reputation. Once you get to a certain level, you're dealing with bureaucracy, like it or not. Um, and a lot of people leave certain positions and management positions 
within large organizations where they're making tons of money and they have all this clout and everything because of that bureaucracy and the office politics and all of that. It's a lot to carry. So making sure that they have someone that's helping them manage it. And even if it can't be you, so maybe you're really intimately involved in the project and, and they still can't open up and discuss that having the discussion and recommending that they get somebody that they can talk to about that, that will help you out a lot as a practitioner, because it will allow someone else to, you know, carry the baggage of what is it that their leaders are not providing for them. And you can focus on their employees and, and the problems that you're there to solve. So always feel free to reach out to other practitioners. Don't feel like you have to unscrew an entire company by yourself, because if you find yourself being overly stretched, guess what? You're going to not be a very good practitioner. Okay. So reach out to your community. Let, you know, understand. I know that Tom is fantastic when it comes to communication. So if I'm working with a leader and he's a piss poor communicator, guess what? I'm calling Tom, right? Because by leveraging our resources within our community, we're going to be that much better at teaching others to do the exact same thing within their organizations. That's what we want at the end of the day. We want roles and titles to mean less and we want actual skills and ability to be, to mean more. And yeah, so that's what I would say to that. Um, well, I, I think that's great advice, but I, I do have another question for you and maybe Lee wants to jump in here too. And, and we've only got a couple of minutes. So we'll have to make this short, but are there lessons for the business world to learn from the military when it either comes to leadership or being a follower? Mm. What do you think, Sarah? <laughs> and Lee, please feel free to jump in here too. Okay. So here's the thing. I don't think there's, there's rules to everything. There's rules of engagement to everything. Right. But I also think the rules of engagement are fluid and can change. So, and that is independent of things that are like in our control. So we have to remain open to that. So when you are a leader, I think it's really important that you are a mirror. I think that's the function of a leader. In my mind, who are the best leaders? They are ones who mirror the behavior that they want to see in others. Um, that is a leader. That has always been my definition. Um, and those are the leaders that I respect. Now, everyone's going to have their own version of that. But being a mirror, I would say no leader could fault themselves by starting there. And then as far as being a follower, I think I don't even like the word follower. I like the word supporter um, more because it means that you are gaining the skills and abilities to eventually be a mirror. Does that make sense? Or you can do those two things simultaneously. Like I know that I'm a leader or trying to be eventually in the IO space. Okay. Um, but I also know that there's other spaces where I'm a little goldfish in an ocean of sharks. Okay. And I have to be able to understand my role in that environment as well. So it's just about that self-reflection. And if you're not doing that self-reflection, find someone to help you out with that. I don't think that anyone, leader, follower, mid-level management, entry-level employee, high-level executive, I don't think anyone could be faulted by reaching out and making sure that they have someone helping them do that hard internal work. So if you aren't doing hard internal work as it relates to your career, you're missing out um, because we want holistic humans at work. And that's what I'm going to say to that is we may, we put a lot of emphasis on mental health when it comes to family relationships and societal relationships and all of that, but we don't, when it comes to at work, it's 
for whatever reason, it's been off limits for so long. And I don't think that's okay because the pandemic taught us that we can, we should be the same person holistically, no matter where we show up. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's just about introspection and doing the hard work. Hard work. No, I don't do hard work. Uh, Lee, anything to add to that? Ooh, <laughs> she doesn't make it easy to follow. I tell you what, um, you know, one thing that, uh, one, one thing that I think that, uh, in the latter years, the military has done really, uh, has made great strides in. I'm not sure I can say they're doing it well yet, but they're made great strides in, um, as she mentioned, mental health. Um, you know, every clinic's got a behavioral, you know, behavioral science people. Uh, we, you know, for the Navy, we have fleet and family support that, that has uh, counselors on site. You've got uh, military one source that you can call and do, uh, you know, mental health over the phone. Uh, you know, hotlines, we've got all that stuff. And it's slowly turning to where some of the younger leaders are actually realizing that that's important and it's okay. And that you need to send your people and that's fine. You know, where some of the older says, you know, you suck it up. You don't, you know, you don't talk about it. You know, you got a wound, you spit on it, rub dirt in it, you know, that sort of thing. And we're getting away from that. And uh, I think that that is something that industry really needs to follow is to provide those information. I mean, my wife's company has a completely anonymous um, mental health line. All they get is four people called, you know, so that they know they're, you know, they're paying for something that they're they can call and they can, they can tell them anything, you know, other than of course the, the, you know, I'm going to hurt someone kind of, kind of statements. Uh, the other thing is uh, whole life coaching. Um, you know, at, at my level in the military, my job was to take care of the people, not just at work, but to know my people, you know, how was little Timmy soccer game? Uh, what are your goals? What do you want to do after this? What kind of education do you want to do? That doesn't have necessarily have to do anything with your job. What can I help you to, to get towards? What resources can I provide? And a lot of companies, if they provided, they really wanted to go to the company. You know, I, I want you to go get a degree that'll help me. And I think we need to get away from that. I know yeah. we're short, so I'll leave it there. <laughs> and I agree. Like that, the picture you just painted, that's the world I want to work in. Uh, and that is a great place for us to wrap up today. And thank you very much, everybody. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, thank you, uh, Linda Ann and Roxanne and everybody who joined us on stage and those people who just joined us to listen. Uh, we will be back one week for now. And until then, uh, have a great week. Uh, and that's uh, with that it. I'm going to sign off. It's been great talking to you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.